This is the Best of the Adam Gold Show podcast, brought to you by Coach Pete at Capital Financial Advisory Group. Visit us at CapitalFinancialUSA.com. This is the Adam Gold Show. State reminds, I think State's offense reminds them of the Panthers' offense or vice versa. Honestly, in terms of approach, it's kind of hard to tell the difference. All right, a lot of things to do, as I, as I mentioned in the last segment. We spend a lot of time here, especially on Mondays, talking about the NFL. Panthers disappointed us, and we got a bunch of other things we want to talk about. The league is important. Uh, and then we get to State, Carolina, Duke, Wake, App, ECU, blah, blah, blah. We don't do a lot until we get later in the week, although we do this with Chip. But we kind of generally tend to stay to issues with Chip. But we're going to talk games and teams with my man Chip Patterson, CBSSports.com, Cover 3 podcast moderator. Thank you very much, as always, for joining us on Wednesdays. I loved the Upon Further Review uh, edition of the Cover 3 podcast. I think you and Danny and Danny Cannell comes on the show every once in a while. And Tom Fornelli, who has no time for us, but that's fine. Um, Fornell, you guys are all great, so I appreciate uh, all that you guys do. So you and I have already chatted offline about what we're going to start with. Tennessee beats Alabama, and it really is set up for, essentially, I'll just use this because why not, an SEC three-way with, (laughs) (laughs) I apologize, I apologize for starting there, because we have... Uh, Alabama, the rest of the way, the toughest regular season game they'll play, other than the rivalry game with Auburn, which they should have no problem with, but rivalry games. They have a trip to Oxford in a few weeks. They have to go down and play Ole Miss, and they're uh, they're an undefeated top 10 football team at this point. That's going to lose at LSU. Yeah, okay. very, very possible, and I heard you say that, and I'm, I'm not even arguing that. But that's I'm just saying that's Alabama's toughest regular season game remaining. They've got... Uh, then Tennessee still has to play Georgia, but I, I think it's in Knoxville. I'm not 100% sure. I think, think it is. And that's their toughest remaining game, although it will not be easy. Uh, maybe the game is in Athens, but they have to play Kentucky next Saturday, I believe, under the lights, which I think Kentucky is good. I don't think Kentucky is great. Um, and that's also Georgia's best, most difficult remaining game. And then one of them is going to play Alabama. So Alabama doesn't lose again. Tennessee loses to Georgia. Georgia loses to Alabama. So now I've got uh, all three of them uh, with one loss. One of them has 12 wins. That would be Alabama in this scenario. How does that shake out with an undefeated Ohio State and an undefeated Clemson team? Because I think Clemson will be undefeated for the college football playoff. The way that I see that, scenario shaking out first of all ohio state is going to start the college football playoff rankings in the top four and if they are undefeated like you've laid out in this scenario then they're not going to get bumped from the top four. so ohio state is in so what ends up happening is that alabama will be granted a head-to-head advantage over georgia and georgia will be ahead of tennessee because of its head-to-head advantage right and if alabama is the conference champion as you have laid out in this scenario then I think the conference championship bump puts Alabama and Georgia in and Tennessee on the outside looking in as a furious one loss team. They would be they would be absolutely furious. And that 
And that is all logical. But here's, this is my eye test. And uh, like, I know everybody rolls their eyes at the eye test, but there's really no good way of doing it when we have so many, so limited a sample size of non-conference matchups. It's not like basketball where you've got eight or nine or 10 non-conference games against good teams to really parse through these things. If just my eye, I've watched Tennessee. I've watched Clemson, similar colors. I think Tennessee's better than Clemson. Again, I'm not the expert here. All right, so the team sheets that the College Football Playoff Selection Committee uses are put together by a company called Sports Source Analytics. Mm -hmm. And it's not like the most advanced statistics, but it is pretty comprehensive. And what Tennessee has is some bad numbers. And there are bad numbers on the defense. Defense, yes. They're a better version of North Carolina, right? (laughs) Oh, 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 oh. Hey, Tennessee at least has a Power 5 level defense, not a Conference (laughs) USA defense, as we have discussed with the North Carolina Tar Heels. Okay. Tennessee just has some bad numbers. And Alabama, while our eyes are frustrated on both sides of the ball, Alabama's numbers are not going to spit out with as many bad numbers. They are actually a little bit more balanced in terms of offense and defense, much more so than Tennessee is, where Tennessee is elite offensively Mm -hmm. and just okay defensively. So when it comes time to justifying some of your decisions and trying to figure out how to stack these teams up against each other, I think that Clemson, which is elite defensively and fine offensively, I think that that's where Clemson's undefeated record, as opposed to having one loss, where Clemson being a little bit more balanced, and where Tennessee, again, just having enough of those bad numbers. I mean, these selection committee members are looking at you know, 18 different statistics, and if there's a couple of reds on there, it's kind of like the NCAA basketball committee when you see the the greens and the reds with the bad losses and right. the Q3 losses. Like, if you've got any bad numbers on there, that is a reason for you to not be winning those tiebreak arguments. It's 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 kind of hard for me to make these decisions based on statistics because your statistics invariably are built on who you played, right? Um, so you, I, whether it's fair or not, I'm going to use. This is the way I would process it. I'd love to talk to the to some of the people in that room and how they really do this. Um, but that game, Alabama at Tennessee, Alabama's defense didn't look elite to me. Correct. So is that maybe part of that is obviously Tennessee is elite. I don't want to talk about Hendon Hooker here in a second. Um, but the other part of that is that maybe Alabama was exposed as not having an elite defense and Alabama has been pushed by teams that like I don't know I didn't think Texas was that good then Texas does that to Oklahoma maybe Alabama's not quite the team we thought they were I think that outside of Ohio State who I vote in the CBS Sports 131 as the number one team in the country Mm -hmm. I think the gap between Georgia and everybody else is smaller than I expected coming into the season I think the gap between Alabama and everyone else obviously has been exposed to be a little bit less than it was coming into the season. And Ohio State just, frankly, hasn't been tested to the point, and we may not see a team that is going to test Ohio State to that point until they play Michigan at the end of the regular season. So, like, Alabama's not that great, yes, but what Alabama has is one superstar and enough other good players to be able to win a lot of these games. So I look at that game against Tennessee – 
And like this, this was a Tennessee team that benefited from um, a lot of breaks and also made some mistakes. You know, t- mm-hmm. we always talk about Hendon Hooker. He hasn't thrown in an interception. He had two, right. one counted, but he had two in that game. <laughs> right. You know, there's, there's the fumbled <laughs> mesh point that turns into the quick scoop and score. Like right. This, when Jameer Gibbs, so at uh, at halftime of the game, because we'd been talking on the Cover 3 podcast, they said if Tennessee wins, we're going to have cigars for the instant reaction show. Right. <laughs> and at halftime, I go out to the gas station, get only the finest of their selection, a black and mild, and I, I text it to the group chat, which includes diehard Tennessee fan producer Jordan. So beginning of the second half, Jameer Gibbs touchdown ties the game, and I'm like, well, I jinxed it. Yeah. Here we go. You know, this, this is where it all breaks down. I, I think that Alabama may not be as good as we thought, but we also probably had an unfair standard for Alabama based on mm. them being Alabama. They're an awesome football team, a team that can win a national championship, but as Tennessee showed, they are not unbeatable. Yeah, uh, and look, I know th- this is a separate conversation that maybe we'll have another time. Um, Tennessee, that that environment, Neyland Stadium was, that. what an unbelievable, I'm, I'm going to finish a sentence at some point here, Chip. The the biggest selling point to me about college football has always been that the environments make the games better than they are. And that's cool because it's it, the entire package of college football is what gives it, its I think, a large part of its appeal. The, the, that does not exist at all anywhere, really, in the National Football League. So that is the advantage. College football has been way better than the NFL. Way better than the NFL this year maybe even the product has been better uh but the whole package has been so much better but I, I don't know what kind of bump you give Tennessee for that like was that a, was that a 10 point bump at home at Neyland so, this year so Alabama's players at Monday's availability said we had anxiety we were coming out we were coming into the tunnel and we weren't we weren't being ourselves we weren't focused mm-hmm. and I don't think that that is the, we didn't care about the game. I think that is admitting that they did not bring the right mental approach into this spot. And a lot of people have started to drag Nick Saban's, you know, coaching, decision-making, play calling down the stretch of that game. I've got a galaxy brain theory that I haven't really uncorked yet. Okay. I've been saving it for you. Thank you. In a way that we have seen Roy Williams and Mike Krzyzewski let their team lose because they think it would help them down the road. I think Nick Saban knew his team had played poorly at a school record 17 penalties. They, they did, had yeah. not executed well on either side of the ball. They'd had dropped passes. They had been making mistakes all over the place, and they nearly stole they a game that Tennessee had outplayed them thoroughly. And this is a game that Alabama, as we discussed at the beginning of the segment, could afford to lose. Mm-hmm. Not a division opponent, and as long as Alabama defeats all of its division opponents and doesn't lose another game, then Alabama can win the SEC championship. A one-loss SEC champion Alabama ain't missing the college football playoff. So this is my super galaxy brain tinfoil hat uh, theory that I've been cooking on for a little bit, probably too long, but (laughs) Nick just let his team lose. He said, you guys did not have the right mental attitude. You think that you can play your C-plus game and win? You can't. You need to step it up, and that's what it's going to take to win a national championship. It might not be a wake-up call, and if this team ends up losing like 
one or two more games, I wouldn't be that surprised. If that's the case, man, we might be watching not the end of the dynasty, but we might be watching the real sort of pivot point in Alabama as this Goliath in the sport. For <laughs> I can't I can't tell how many times we've heard well, is this the end of the Alabama dynasty? And it's, it's never the end through, of the dynasty. If he can't get through to the players, then Nick might check out. That's like, I think Alabama will continue to be elite even after Nick Saban mm -hmm. because of what he's built and the blueprint he's laid out. But it might be more like Georgia where they're winning 10, 11 games, getting top five recruiting classes. I think Nick Saban is how you turn – Nick Saban is how you go from a Georgia recruiting level to winning six out of 12 national championships. I think the work that Nick Saban has done is going to make it such that you walk in and that program should be able to win nine games and recruit at a top five level mm -hmm. for five years after he's gone. But if he thinks that he can't motivate these players anymore, right. that's, that, that has led other Hall of Fame coaches to say that's what tipped me off. Now it's time to get out. You know, the, the interesting thing about that, and we'll just hit on this and then we'll take a break because I want to talk to you more about a national look at uh, some teams that are still in it. Um, there's really, in college football, there's only been one school that has not seen a any sort of dramatic, if not a, if a dip at all, from coach to coach to coach to coach to coach, and that's Ohio State. That's it. <clears throat> Everybody else, every other school has suffered with – you know, Alabama, they won a national championship after Bear Bryant. Gene Stallings did. But for the most part, they were just meh. And then they went through a long – I mean, the funny thing about their 15-game their winning streak over Tennessee is that Tennessee had kicked their rear ends for about 15 years before then. I mean, I, I think Tennessee won all but two. I think they went 10 out of 12 in that stretch uh, when, you know, Phil Fulmer was the coach, uh, and Alabama was going through all of their – they were still good, but they weren't great. Florida-Tennessee was bigger. It's oh, absolutely. Championship race perspective, that time where Tennessee was dominating Alabama, yeah. it's because we looked at Florida-Tennessee as this national championship elimination game. I mean, Florida State hasn't really – I mean, I know they had a good run with Jimbo Fisher, but it took him a while to get to that. I just think that the guy who follows Saban at Alabama – you might be able to live off of the talent that's there right away, but there's something else that goes with the talent because there have been a lot of talented teams that didn't quite get to this, get to what Alabama is. Saban is also an elite coach and motivator. That's going to be – it's going to be very difficult, I think, for Alabama to maintain without Nick Saban, but that's just natural. So, again, only Ohio State has not seen a dip. All right, when and we is that because of the neighborhood too? Oh, I like, think it has something to do with it. Yeah, yeah. There's just so many, so many programs that are willing to do whatever it takes. Yeah. <laughs> is that air quotes? Did you air quote that? No, I was just trying to like give you the <laughs> emphasis of whatever it takes. I'm air quoting it for Chip Patterson to to win at the highest level. Ohio State's neighborhood is, you know, it's got some. Got, got got some programs that want to do it the right way. <laughs> All right, we're going to talk about one of those programs that you just referenced doing it the right way, a certain way. Next. 
CBSSports.com. Cover 3 podcast moderator. There upon further review edition is always a must listen. I checked it out yesterday as I was waiting. Well, I had a lot of uh, a lot of downtime. I was a little bit of a drive and I uh, was waiting for uh, my son to do uh, do something with soccer. So I was listening to the Cover 3 podcast because I, 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 I do that. Uh, Chip Patterson joins us every Wednesday. All right, let's talk about that team that you were saying does it the right way, the Michigan way, if you will. Right. Um, I think Michigan is good. I don't know how good because I don't know, even though they just beat an unbeaten Penn State team. Uh, Penn State might not be that good. I, that's, that, that's where I would – you finished my sentence. I'm not sure they're good. Uh, that's, that's a team I think that should have lost to Purdue at the beginning of the year. Um. Is Michigan national – are they college football playoff good or are they just good? They're just good. You know, they they are going to show up to a New Year's Six Bowl because there's not many teams on Michigan State's schedule that are going to be able to beat them. They're going to lose to Ohio State and Columbus at the end yeah. of the season, so they're not going to be playing for the Big Ten Championship. They're probably going to finish seventh, eighth, you know, in the college football playoff final rankings. But th- there is an absence – of an explosiveness that they've got with JJ McCarthy, who right. came in as a blue chip prospect, who, you know, Jim Harbaugh is really winning over all the locals, saying that, yeah, I'll tell you what, he reminds me of a young Jimmy Harbaugh. You know, he <laughs> runs around, he spins out of it, you know, like, like, yeah, sure, that's cute and all, but this, this is an offense that they ground, they pound, they mash you, they win at the line of scrimmage. But if their hand was forced, I just, I don't think that they've got the difference maker at quarterback. Right. At least I've not seen it so far this season. And their wide receiver room is not incredibly deep. So when we really start comparing Michigan to you know the very best teams in all of college football, and as I mentioned, that the very best teams I think are not as good as I thought there was. Like the gap between right. the top tier and everyone else is much smaller than I thought. But I think that this Michigan team is beatable and – you know, they, they mess around with Maryland. Uh, they, they mess around with Indiana. Iowa was close to, in the first half. Yeah, they jumped out to a 13 nothing lead and just kind of quit. You know, yeah. there's like, all right, we'll just sort of sim to end from here. <laughs> to use the video game term. So I, I think that Michigan is a very, very good football team that is very confident in its identity. But look at what happens when Michigan's offense gets into the red zone and I think that the number yeah. of times that they've had to settle for short field goals and not been able to punch those in for touchdowns, those against better teams get you beat. All right, so how does Michigan compare? Because I've seen Michigan play, and I have seen Clemson play, and maybe this is my overall – I like Clemson, and I want Clemson to be back where they were a few years ago. But I don't see Clemson as being that. I see Clemson as being very good – different than Michigan, but I don't see Clemson as being great. So who Michigan, Clemson, who you got, I guess is what I'm saying. Oh, I would, I would take Clemson. Okay. Uh, if, if given that opportunity, um, it wouldn't, wouldn't be great in terms <laughs> of the trends because Clemson uh, over the last couple seasons has kind of been one of these teams where if they're favored to win, then they are, that's where you get them. But if they're an underdog, they're probably going to end up losing. There's a reason they were an underdog. <laughs> but I look at the Tigers, and I see, compared to Michigan, a, an offense with a, a much higher end. 
Um, even I think DJ Uyunglele is an upgrade over JJ McCarthy. Yeah. As much hand wringing as we do about the wide receivers, if, if we include the tight ends in that, the way that Davis Allen has been so strong this season, I think I would take Clemson there. And just the way that they handle business uh, is a little bit different. I was thinking about this as I was breaking down Clemson Syracuse, two teams with very, very good defenses, but Clemson like still doesn't huddle a lot. And they don't go at like a blitz, you know, no. Tennessee-type pace, but they still can score pretty quickly and move the ball, and they sort of handle their business on offense um, with a little bit of tempo uh, to to at least to threaten the ability to keep the defense on their heels. So I, I think that I would take Clemson, you know, as efficiently as Michigan has been mashing the run game. Blake Corum, you know, one of the best backs in the country. Donovan Edwards, phenomenal change of, change of pace back. I think I would still take the versatility of Clemson's offense and I would take Clemson's defense over Michigan's defense because I think Clemson's defense, they've been banged up in the back end right. of that defense, but as they are getting healthier, I think when they return from the bye before Notre Dame, that group that takes the field in South Bend, that will be the final version of Clemson's defense. And I think that group will dominate the month of November. All right, so let me ask this, and we're not going to have to worry about undefeated Clemson versus undefeated Michigan when we get to the college football playoff. That's because Michigan will not be undefeated. I agree. I think there's a big gap between Ohio State and uh, and Michigan. Um, Michigan's probably not the team type of a team that would give Clemson a hard time because they're not a great throwing team. And I think Clemson can handle the run. But I also remember, and I don't know how much of this was uh, based on the fact they had so much success throwing the ball. I remember late in the game against Wake Forest where Wake Forest was moving the ball down the field on the ground. And I know Dave Clawson was, the, the announcers in that game were giving Dave Clawson a hard time. Like, why are you running the ball? You had so much success throwing it as they're picking up eight yards a chunk. Like, why are we criticizing what's working? And he was clearly trying to melt uh, as much of the four and a half minutes left at the start of that drive as possible. Now, it backfired. It didn't work out uh, because Brian Brissy made a big play uh, that took them behind, you know, behind the chains or whatever, off schedule. Um, but I do remember Wake moving the ball on the ground with some success. So... It was a numbers game. That's what I, I I had in my notes that Clemson realized their defensive backs were overmatched against right. Wake Forest's receivers, and they pulled players out of the box. They went to more of a zone approach. Okay. You know, they, they were committing so many players to stopping the passing game that, I mean, remember, there is an R in RPO. Like, there is a <laughs> run option in the run-pass option. Right. And it is up to the quarterback, and the rules of the system dictate if I see this many defenders close to the line of scrimmage or in the box or however the system is set up, then we hand the ball off. If we see this many, then we throw it. Like, I just think that Clemson's defensive decision-making is what drove Wake Forest okay. to run the ball in that situation. And that was their hand being forced by the fact that Wake Forest's wide receivers were absolutely feasting, which, guess what? It's a lot easier to feast in a one-on-one -on -one in man coverage than it is when every single pass is going to be into double coverage because of the new zone schemes that Clemson's defense was running. I think for Wake Forest run game, you know, if, if we're just to give it to give a compliment to Wake Forest, the way that they melted away the Florida State win, 
Now that was something that was very impressive, especially against a defense that even with the injuries, I think it's been pretty solid this year mm-hmm. with Florida State. But still, even if they get fully healthy, the teams that are going to be able to beat Clemson have to be able to throw the ball effectively, have to be able to have multiple receiving options that can be difference makers. You know, Ohio State could be a real threat. And there's a team in the ACC, if they play them on the first Saturday in December, that it could at least make it interesting. Mm-hmm. Now, that team is going to give up half a hundred, <laughs> probably lose 52 to 49. But maybe, you know, if you want to, if, if the Tar Heels can keep winning, which is a big if, mm-hmm. then I think that that could provide a very entertaining final test. One that, again, if the Tar Heels have a, a higher ranking, it's going to help Clemson with any kind of seeding or college football playoff arguments. If we are sitting there and there are three one loss teams from the sec, like you mentioned at the beginning of our conversation, Clemson having a win over the number 14 ranked team in the country is going to look a lot better than over an unranked team. So, well, well bigger picture here about, about how the ACC looks uh, in terms of those other bowls, those, uh, those, I guess they're called access bowls. Um, North Carolina could have, but let's just say North Carolina is 10 and two. They lose to Wake Forest. They're 10 and two. Um, and Carolina still wins the coastal and, uh, Clemson beats North Carolina in the ACC championship game. And Wake Forest is 11 and one and Clemson went to wake and won that game. Now the chances of this happening perfectly, probably not great. Uh, but if those two things happen, if Syracuse finishes with 10 wins and they are undefeated at this point, they'll play nah, this week. I don't team. I've seen Syracuse's schedule. They're going to finish 75. <laughs> I mean, you're probably right. You're always right about these things, Chip, but just so, just so you know, ahead of time. Uh, and, and I have no problem with that. No, no, not just you being right, but me being wrong. I have no problem with that at all. Um, but if, I mean, if, if Syracuse finishes with nine wins, I know you, and you say there's a seven and five team. I think that's over, right? They already have six wins. So, yeah. uh, look, is it possible that Clem that Clemson's resume is just going to look so much better than it actually is? No, I think that these are qual these would be quality okay. wins. All right. I mean, especially compared to Ohio State. How um, good is the it, state win? I mean, it is better because Devin Leary was on the field, right? You know, it's it's better than Syracuse's win against State. Like it's, Gosh, I, I, mean, I, I can't even think about that game made me so mad. I mean, do you know what the, do you know what the, the bet of this week is? So Clemson's got, as I mentioned, an off week next week, mm-hmm. they're trying to get healthy. All they got to do is win this game. <laughs> like Syracuse's defense. They got some really good corners. Right. That I think are going to cause problems for the passing game. Give me Clemson kicker BT Potter <laughs> over however many field goals. Cause it's going to be a game where it feels like Clemson's winning and dominating. Right. They're going to just be getting three, 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 three. A bunch of red zone stops is what's going to keep that game closer. Who knows on the spread on that one. But I think that Clemson, at the, the biggest surprise at the end of the season is that Clemson's win against Wake Forest, Clemson's win against Syracuse, and a potential win against North Carolina are going to be the deal breakers that help the Tigers, not Notre Dame or Miami, as we all expected at the beginning of the season, because they get by the orange, boy, it is just 
cruising the rest of the way for Clemson, uh, at least until Charlotte. Just just don't do something dumb against South Carolina, right? I, I don't I don't see that. I don't I don't either. But rivalry games are dumb. They're just they're just silly. Stupid things happen in these games. This you you are not wrong, but yeah. I don't I don't see that particular one uh, playing out yeah. that way. And here's why: Steve Spurrier made Dabo Sweeney's life awful. Like Steve <laughs> Spurrier talked about that game, just drove in. Every, I don't think Steve Spurrier ever lost to Clemson. I need to check no, it. No, I but think like, he did. I no. Oh, maybe it was uh, Spurrier against Swinney. Like that might yeah. be it. It might be that the the Spurrier Swinney Clemson South Carolina might have been all Gamecocks, and if not, it was overwhelmingly Gamecocks. Oh he yes, would start, he would start talking about that in mid October, and I don't. I just I don't think Dabo's forgotten it. The the Dabo Swinney tweet that was he and Spurrier were were, uh, were there at the same time. My understanding was that those guys were friends. Oh, and and by the way, um, that game's at home too. This is the most oh, okay. absurd schedule. Yeah, this is this is Clemson's schedule. Uh, they've got Syracuse at home, you know, huge game, as I mentioned. Then they're off. Then they go to South Bend against the Notre Dame team that is so bad, North Carolina's embarrassed to show you their record because they don't want you to ask about the one. Right. Right. Like North Carolina's not even excited about six and one because, but oh, who, who'd you lose to? Notre Dame. Yeah. What'd you say right no, there? They lost to a bunch of five-star recruits. Yeah, so then it's Louisville, home. Miami, home. South Carolina, home. If they get bored, they might, like, win close, but they're <laughs> winning all those games. Uh, then it'll be fun when we get to Charlotte. And I hope it is North Carolina. I really do. Uh, all right, Chip Patterson, you're the man. I appreciate your time. I uh, can't wait till next Wednesday. Sounds good. Y'all be well. Halftime. Let's kick it. All right, a couple quick I always have these big ideas with Chip, and he always takes out a logic club and smashes me in the face with it. Well, that happens from time to time. It gets He's all so of us. so good at his job. It gets all of us. A yeah. uh, couple quick notes here. Bubba Wallace suspended for one race by NASCAR. I for saw this. pushing a fellow driver That's not why he was suspended, actually. Not? No. Uh, well, I know that's what I, I, happened. Well, the, he no, he did. Uh, Adam was it Adam Larson? Ken, sure. Kyle Larson. Kyle Larson. One of the Larsons. Um, yeah, he's he pushed Kyle Larson uh, after. Actually, I think it was during the race when he got out of the car and, and, and yes. pushed him. Yes. Um, but according to right. NASCAR, because I read this today, mm-hmm. that it was entirely about the incident that got them both out of the car. That it was a dangerous incident where he spun Larson out mm-hmm. after he thought that Larson did something to him, but then he deliberately spun Larson out, and it could have, and actually it did impact the the playoff race, the playoff chase, because somebody who was in first place is now in eighth place, uh, based on how they finished last week, and it caught them, uh, it it that driver got caught up in the in the wash there. Yeah. Uh, but it was entirely about what happened during the race that got Wallace suspended. So, by the way, he is gone. Yeah, one one for week. one race. And for did you? Race. I saw the. I read the statement that twenty three XI, that's the race team that is co-owned by Michael Jordan and yeah. Denny Hamlin. 
Um, I saw the statement that they put out. They entirely support the one the one race ban. Yeah. He's like, yep, that no, we've talked to Bubba, can't do that, can't have it. Uh, he understands it. So, there you go. That's where we are. All right, next bit of news What here. an upset it is that I actually had information in my brain on that. There are people, there are people driving around and go, my gosh, Gold read the story on that? That he did. <laughs> that you did. Yeah, I didn't watch the race. I uh, read the story. Sam Darnold and Bravion Roy designated to return to practice for the Carolina Panthers. Now, what is that good news? Is it? I'm, I'm, it I'm is curious. news. It's news. <laughs> I don't know if it's good news, but it's news nonetheless. I'm about that. So, what a designated to return to practice means that they have now opened up the Carolina Panthers a 21 day window okay. for these two guys to be able to practice and be activated in those 21 days. Now. If they don't activate the player within the 21-day window, they go full-on season-long IR. Oh, okay. So that's it kind of allows players to get back in the mode of practicing before returning to play. Now, they can activate them off of IR now at any moment. So if they say, hey, Darnold's good to go, we feel good about him, they can activate him on Friday, put him on the 53-man roster, and he can play on Sunday. Okay. That is a potential thing. Same thing with Bravion Roy, who had a hamstring injury back in Week 2. But it doesn't necessarily guarantee that they will play this weekend. They still have to be activated off IR. But, again, it opens up that 21-day window for them to return to practice. Gotcha. So that's what that means for anyone out there who's wondering. Now, question is, who are the two healthiest quarterbacks for the Carolina Panthers? Right now it seems like it's Jacob Eason and it might be Sam Darnold because of the neck injury that P.J. Walker suffered last week. Uh, yes. So that might be who's start. Jacob Beeson very well could start on Sunday for the Panthers. Wow. Yeah. That's the fifth. That's their fifth quarterback. How many? Yeah. What, what, what are we in week seven? Yeah. Week seven, uh-huh. and the Panthers could be on their fifth quarterback. I mean, yeah, if you count Matt Corral. Yeah. yeah. No, why wouldn't you? I mean, because he hasn't, it, I mean, technically hasn't played no, this year. No, but he got but, hurt. Yeah. That's why. So, uh, Baker one, yep. Darnold two, yep. Corral three, yep. PJ four, four, Jacob Eason five. Just wrap yourself in bubble wrap. Who Jacob. would back up Jacob Eason if 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 Walker can't play? Yeah, which means he's hurt. Do they have? Is there another quarterback that is on the practice squad now? I don't know. There has to be, right? I've, great question. I gotta find that out. Now I'm sure they probably worked some guys out. This week and might put some guys on or on practice squad. Brian St. Pierre? Yes. Does anybody remember that name? <laughs> I do remember him because yeah? he used to back up in Pittsburgh well, for a long right. time. But he was like... Uh, Maybe they should trade for Mason Rudolph. Actually, I don't know. Now I take that back. Is Kenny Pickett's out? Or he's okay. hurt at least. He I actually read that Mason Rudolph was on the trade block. Well, he was, but I don't think they will now that, that right. Pickett is, has the concussion. But still, it's a, it's a thing. I don't know. Maybe it's... Jacob Eason starting Sam Darnold backs up. That might, uh, that might be that that very well could happen. Well, if Sam Darnold practices well, mm-hmm. he'll start. He'll start over yeah. Jacob Eason. Gosh, you would have to, right? Yeah, I, you would think. Crazier things have happened with the Panthers. Yes. All right. Final thing here. Harrison Ford is officially in the MCU. That's right, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. What? Yes. So he's going to take over the role of General Ross. Why did we allow that? What do you mean allow it? 
Why didn't it happen already is the question. So he's going to take over the role of General Thunderbolt Ross. He's 80. That's fine. I don't know what he is. He's close to it. And so William Hurt, who passed away, had played the role of General Ross in previous films, but now he's going to take over as Thunderbolt Ross in the Captain America New World Order movie, which is the fourth Captain America movie, and which is going to feature Sam Mackey now as Captain, or his his character, uh, Sam Wilson. Uh, Anthony Mackey's character, Sam Wilson, now is Captain America. And Thunderbolts is another movie coming out and will play the role of Thunderbolt Ross. So here we go. Harrison Ford, not only Star Wars, but also Marvel Cinematic Universe. Two biggest uh, entertainment franchises of all time. Harrison Ford is now going to be part of both of them. The the Indiana Jones? Oh, yeah. and it, Well, I mean, I'd say the two biggest being Star Wars and Marvel. It was just, I, it was just making yeah. a joke at the expense oh, I, of Star Wars. Oh. But he was only in one Star Wars. No, he was in two. He was in four. Was it? Oh, yeah. Never mind. The whole original trilogy. Never, never, mind. And, uh, never mind. Never mind. You understand? I still haven't caught up my sleep after Monday night when we had gosh. a 10.30 hockey game. Or I a 10 was o'clock up hockey then, too. Yeah, but and I pulled a double shift yesterday. I don't even want to hear it. I don't even want to hear it. You just got to go look at I, chickens. I had three hours. Uh, three hours. I watched a cow poop at uh, at my son and his friends directly <laughs> at them. It's tremendous. It's awesome. I, 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 couldn't I, have, I have nothing further. I couldn't have scripted have that any further. better. I could not have scripted that any better. <laughs> Did you say you deserve it? <laughs> no, I was too busy laughing. I could. I could barely breathe. That's fair. I could barely breathe. This is the Adam Gold Show. Did you know that your unused medications could end up in the wrong hands? It's important to keep your medication secure in a locked location, such as a locking box or locking cabinet. When it's time to dispose of them, safety and properly dispose of old, expired, or unused meds by using an at-home disposal product or a medication disposal box in your community. Don't miss out on medication take-back events happening near you. Don't let anyone take what's yours. Lock your meds. Be aware. Don't share. Learn more at lockyourmeds.org nc.